now, it's Gardening Talkback with gardening specialist Scott Sharp. Welcome to Gardening Talkback on 2 and you are FM and we say welcome back to us, Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. Thank you. Welcome back. Hopefully a lot of pent-up demand, people wanting to know what to do with their gardens today. Hopefully a lot of questions ready to go. Actually, I've got a question for you oh, as well. There's the demand straight away. But I won't say it now. Good. Thank you. I'll, I'll keep you in suspense. But what have you got for us today, Scott? Well, I thought we'd talk about a plant that's out in flower at the moment, the orange trumpet vine, also the golden rain tree. Not out in flower, but people are mistaking it for something else, and some camellia gardens in Sydney. Straight off the bat, we've got Sandra from Rutherford, and she's got black spots on old-fashioned roses. Hello, Sandra. How can we help you? How do I get rid of it? Well, it's a, it's a little sort of fungus that you've got on there. That's the best way to describe it. But black spot... Um, it, is just prevalent on roses in Newcastle because of the uh, the humid conditions that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, up at Rutherford, I guess you're a little bit better because, you know, you just haven't got that uh, that sea air coming in. So you are a little bit uh, protected from it, but you're going to have to spray it, unfortunately, to keep it under control. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can go and buy a product called copper oxychloride and spray that. Uh, you probably have to spray that, uh, you know, every week or every two weeks to keep it under control. It's usually at its worst in February or March. And it might just be that, you know, we've just had some recent rain and that's that's why it's uh, taken off again for you. There is a, 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 a sort of a, a natural solution you can use as well. Uh, you can mix some uh, fat-free milk, some skim milk. Uh, into water at a one-to-one ratio, so a litre of milk, a litre of water, and just uh, yeah, spray that around on, on the, uh, on the uh, plant. It actually kills the fungus, yeah. Oh, good, because that's what I drink. Give me milk, so that'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> right, now then, thank you. That's all right. Now, you have to keep on working at that. It's not something that, uh, well, I guess no, it, no, soon yeah, the leaves will fall. Yeah, maybe. yeah. 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 Righto then, Dale. Thank you very, very much. Okay, good luck to you with it. Righto, love. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Thanks, Sandra. We've got Lois now from Toronto, and she's looking for a suitable plant she can place to a bushland reserve. Hey, Lois, how are you? G'day, Scott. Yeah, I live next door to a, a bushland reserve, and I'd like to plant um, a, a little row of shrubs, but I'm very aware of bushland invaders can you suggest something that would grow about waist height that's never going to go invading invading our bush yeah sure and how much uh, light or shade do you get there at that little low reserve uh, it gets dapp- only dappled light because of the trees in the reserve Ooh, okay now that's that is a difficult one then I, I was going to, if it was out in the full sun i was going to suggest uh grevillea robin gordon but grevillea uh-huh. yeah grevilleas just don't like being in the shade like that okay yeah that that is quite a difficult one it, it might be to best to try and find uh, you know some sort of native fern even and see if you can get uh, you know those growing hadn't even considered that brilliant idea yeah, not not a bad idea uh i'll certainly grow into a little row for you not invasive yep. uh yeah yeah so and look there's some native nurseries around town uh, who sp- you know deal in those sort of plants specifically so it might be good to uh, sort of give them a call and see what they, if they can help you uh, out with that sounds fantastic i would hate to have it on my conscience <laughs> <laughs> no we, we don't want to be invading the native bushland we've got enough bad things out there eating um, our native animals and wrecking up our native plants already. So, yep, yeah. you're doing the no, right that's, thing. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Lois. Okay, bye. And we've got Irene from Bright Waters, and she's got black stems on long leaf wax flower. 
Irene, how can we help you? Good. Uh, Thanks for uh, this, Scott. Yeah, look, I've got a series of uh, long-leaf wax flower plants. Yes. And um, the oldest of these has developed uh, like a black, um, I suppose it's like a sooty mould mm. um, on uh, on the stems and um, uh, on some of the leaves. Do I get rid of it or what, what happens? Well, have you actually tried to find out if it is sooty mould? Have you, you know, just used no, your fingernail to try and scrape it off? No, I just, I just know that it's black. Yeah, okay. Look, I, I think I would try and, uh, you know, firstly just take your fingernail there and uh, scrape it a little bit, uh, not too hard, just see if it comes off. Then right. if, if that's the case, then it is sooty mould. Right. And again, to get rid of that, you use copper oxychloride. We were just talking about it before uh, oh, with Sandra and, and her roses. That's all right. No, we weren't talking about your plants, so Sandra, earlier. So that's, yeah. so that's copper oxychloride. Now, it can be a two-pronged thing, though, in that... Uh, the plant actually might have some scale on it. And if you turn over the leaves or look further up the stem, you might see some little, I don't know, like little pimples, little black or green, white nodules uh, growing in under there. And they're actually a little insect that is sucking the sap out of the plant. And then the ants come up to feed off the residue uh, from those scale insects, bringing the sooty mole from the soil. And uh, that's what's probably happened to yours. Uh, I'd be uh, employing your fingernail first, though, and right. uh, seeing if it comes off, if if that's the case, use the uh, copper oxychloride and then uh, an insecticide to get rid of the scale. Right, and and Scott, would it go to? I mean, um, the the plants are in a row, you know, sort of alongside a fence. So, is this possible that it would go from one to the other to the other? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, scale insects are windborne; they can just be blown around, and also the sooty mold spores can be in the ground, and when it rains, splash up onto the plants next door. But more likely, the uh, scale is going to be blown around onto the next plants, the adjacent plants, and then right. continue down the row. And the problem will just keep on going. It gets worse and worse. Eventually, it spreads up onto the leaves of the plants. Uh, they can't photosynthesize. They get sicker and sicker. And you just get into this uh, sort of death spiral, I guess, is the oh, best way to describe it. Oh, I've made it sound really bad, haven't I? <laughs> well, it's terrible. Oh, and look, just one other question on that. Um, I mean, they're just, a, you know, they're budding up and getting ready to flower for winter. Mm-hmm. Um, when, after they flower, how do I prune them? Yeah, so I would just gently prune them, uh, no more than a third off them, but make sure they have finished flowering. Right, okay, fine. That's great. All right, okay. so I'll check it out to see whether or not it can scrape off with a fingernail, is what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. And um, if it is, get some copy, uh, uh, sorry, copper oxide chloride. Yes, that's correct. Spray it with that and, um, yeah... Um, and then what? I've then got to also identify for scale. Yes, have a look and see if there's any scale. That might be a little bit difficult on the wax flower, but you can maybe see it up the stems and around the leaves. Uh, just in little nodules or pimples is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful shrub, you know, and it's so drought tolerant. I mean, it's it, I love them. Yeah, have you got nice uh, sort of well-drained soil there, have yeah, you? Very yeah, very sandy. Yeah, you definitely need that for uh, for wax flower. Um, yeah, they they don't grow very well in uh, clay conditions or heavy soils. No, they work really well. Yeah. Okay, thank you okay. for that, Scott. I really appreciate your help. Thank you, Irene. Have a nice afternoon. You too, bye. Bye-bye. And we've got Bev from Toronto, and she's got some f- questions about fig cutting and also orchids. Hey, Bev, how can we help you? 
I hope you can. <laughs> um, yeah, we had to do away with our old fig tree and um, I took some cuttings off and one really successful, uh, but the leaves that shot out um, were burnt off in that heat. And, uh, but then I saw new growth and it came good again. So the, the initial um, cutting has got uh, about three or four nice big leaves on it. And but I've noticed since we put it in a bigger pot um, that it's got a shoot coming up from the base and it's got nice big leaves on it. Now, is that good to leave that young shoot coming up from underneath the soil? Yes, that, that's fine to leave that. It's obviously come from the root system of the plant. Uh, so it's still the same plant, so don't be concerned about that. The only time you are, you should be concerned about plants uh you know sprouting from the root system if you've got a grafted plant uh you know many roses are grafted some deciduous trees are grafted and that's when you see the uh like the rootstock the the wild rootstock trying to grow and take over but in your case not a problem it's exactly the same plant so i would let it go and uh, you'll have a nice sort of fuller plant by that one uh coming up and, and growing yes i've just got a problem now as to where to put it so <laughs> <laughs> because we had to make a lawn where it was. Uh, so, yeah, I'll have to... Because it gives a fair bit of shade, so you won't get any other garden, you know, around it, and I'm a bit confined. But anyway, that's good. Happy to know about that. OK. Uh, You've got a question now, about your orchids as well. Yes, yes, I have a cattleya. Yes. It's, it's, it's a wonderful battler. Um, it's been in a pot, and uh, we've had it for years, and every year it surprises me out of the blue. Oh, up come these beautiful flowers. And uh, this year I had four uh, shoots come out that looked like I was going to get four lots of flowers. Uh, but one did take off and I got five lovely blooms on that one. And, uh, yeah, so I'm very happy. But I've noticed it's got so much bigger. It's growing and the roots are coming outside and down the side of the pot. Yes. So I was wondering, it's happy under the tree. Um, would would it be better to put it in a bigger pot or to plant it right in the soil under the tree? Yeah, no, look, you can't really plant them in the soil under the tree. You probably notice that the uh, mix that they're in is very, very barky and open. Uh, it's almost like someone's got some pine bark or some wood chip and the plant's sitting on that. And that's, yeah. that's because uh, orchids uh, generally, when they're in the rainforest, they uh, use their root system merely to cling onto the branches of trees, not to actually, you know, so much grow in the ground. Uh, so with, with your catalea, uh, yes, you certainly can put it into a bigger pot. And it's probably not a bad idea to refresh that potting mix if it's been in there for a number of years, like you said. Uh, yeah. And look, in doing that, it's, it's not a bad thing to do. I'd wait till it finishes flowering and then just yeah. uh, take that out. You might find that a lot of that mix will just fall away anyway. Um, yeah. the, the roots will, might be exposed, but that's not a problem. Just carefully put them back into the new mix and, uh, and off yeah. you go with that. So you don't trim the, the roots off at all? No, look, I wouldn't trim, trim the roots off. Uh, the way that they're spilling out over the pot's not a bad thing, uh, but it might be just to refresh that potty mix. Okay, so I won't trim the outside. Uh, well, I might be able to get those on the outside in a bigger pot. Yeah, absolutely. You might be able to do that, dear, yeah, most, most certainly. 
Right. Now, the main, the main thing is when you go uh, to your garden centre, explain you've got a cattle layer. Uh, the staff yeah. there will be able to guide you to, uh, you know, the proper potting mix for that because you do need a specific potting mix for cattle layer orchids. You can't just go and um, sort of buy a bag of it, and, you know, down the road. You do need to go and get a specific potting mix. Oh, I have got some potting mix that I did get earlier when I had the um, um, Singapore orchids, which all died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any luck with them inside. But this one's battled on and battled on for years, and I didn't want to lose it. But, um, yeah, so it, it, it's got to be a specific, not just any uh, orchid potting mix, just got to be a Catalaya yeah. potting mix. If possible, I would try and get a specific Catalaya mix. You can get, you know, generic orchid potty mixes, but then sometimes they can be a little bit closed and not as open where a Catalaya really likes a very open and well-drained mix. Oh, good. Okay, and what do I feed it? Anything? Uh, yes, there's also orchid f- feed. Uh, you can uh, use those uh, in a liquid form. Uh, if you wanted to, you could probably sprinkle a little bit of blood and bone down in a- amongst the plant as well. But if you're putting it into a fresh mix, really no need to feed it at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you so much, lovely. That's all right, Bev. Have a lovely afternoon. Good. Thank you. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. And we've got Judith from Valentine, and she's got yellow leaves on a pomegranate. Uh, Judith, how can we help you? Hi, I put in a pomegranate tree just this year, around January. Yes. And I've noticed that the leaves have all turned yellow in the past couple of weeks. Uh-huh. Don't be worried. Uh, pomegranates are a deciduous, semi-deciduous tree here in Newcastle. Um, so as it's got colder, it is going to lose its leaves. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. That's, that's the quick and easy. I didn't want you to be too worried about it. Yeah, I was going to spray it up, but oh my God, something's eating it, you know. No, no, it, it'll mostly lose its leaves over the next few weeks and then uh, spring back again uh, once we get to mid-August, September. Well, that's very good to know. Thank you very much. That's all right. Not a problem, Judith. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's quick to the point, then. Well, we had to get there. It was, uh, I didn't want a worrying unduly. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Marion now from Karua, and she's got a snail plague. Ooh, this doesn't sound good, but almost like a movie. <laughs> well, it looks <laughs> like a, a movie. movie. <laughs> it would be a long movie. <laughs> the snails slowly come again. <laughs> we've, we've got a massive plague of snails, more than I've ever seen, after the rain. Yes. Um, and I've tried everything, just t- getting up in the morning and taking them off. I've let the chooks out. They don't even look at them anymore. Oh. Um, I can't use bait because we have a beautiful Labrador dog. Yes. So I, and also I've been told to use um, beer, you know, under the plant that attracts the snails. That yes, The dog yeah. would, would drink that. So I'm at a loss. Have you tried, uh, I, I'm just thinking about a way to have some snail bait but uh, to keep the dog away from it, uh, making some sort of little snail house where you actually keep the bait inside there and therefore, you know, the, then the dog can't get into it. Um, the snails just go in through little holes, uh, they have a bit of a feast, um, you know, they may or may not come back out, I'd say they won't, uh, but your dog can't get in there. Is that something that could work for you? Um, my husband might be able to to make something but it'd have to be labrador proof because he eats everything <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he chews it? sticks and he he'll eat plants 
you know, he's only a puppy. Ah, okay. Well, uh, it, it might have to be made out of, you know, some sort of heavy timber or um, some steel. I was going to suggest a, an old ice cream container, but probably not uh, not good enough for your Labrador. Oh, no, he'd that. find that a toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it might just be, you know, something that's a little bit more heavy duty. Uh, you know, if you sort of head off down to the hardware store, you might find something appropriate down there that can be modified, uh, you know, a lid put on it, uh, an old uh, letterbox, for instance. Because I know I've got a lot of snails in my litter box. They come in and eat my mail. All right. Yeah, well, I don't I check my mail that often. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I guess I could put something like that around the yard in different spots. They get up into the trees, the citrus trees as well, and I've never seen that before. Yeah, look, I I know what you're talking about. I've I've got a bit of a snail plague at my place. Uh, I've got some uh, sort of soft leaf lilies around the front yard, and they just seem to love those. Uh, mine are bigger and fatter though. They've had had a feast, so I can find them more easily, or they're in my letterbox. Uh, so look, that that might be the the way for you to go. The other thing there used to be out on the market, Marion, uh, was a an anti snail spray which you could spray around. Uh, oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. and that, that wouldn't be harmful to your pets. All right, I'll have a look for that one and I'll get my husband on the job. I think you had to be careful about actually spraying it on the plants and I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, seven to eight years ago it was available, still may be, uh, but, uh, yeah, look, it was just for spraying around the, the area and around the ground to try and dissuade them from getting up onto the plants. All right, I'll have a look at that. Bunnings might be the go. We'll have a look. Okay. Good on you, Marion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for that. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Helen now from Heat and Greeter, and her orchid's not flowering. It doesn't sound good, but maybe we can help, Greg. Maybe. <laughs> Helen, how can we help you? Um, I've uh, got an orchid. It was belonged to my mum and dad. I've actually got two pots of them, um, and they're just a common variety of orchids, but they flowered for years. You know, every year we had flowers, and then um, just suddenly, three years ago, it, was, it just stopped flowering. Have you, re- have you repotted them or, or split them to try and refresh them a little bit? Um, I repotted them probably about four years ago. Okay. Now that, and that... they flowered after that. And then, yeah, and they had some beautiful sprays that year, but nothing since. With, with orchids, they actually like to be quite full in the pot and almost spilling yep. out over the side. Uh, yes, yes. And compacted in. <laughs> great. Okay. So I'm wondering if they might have gone too far then and they're, they're sort of too compacted or if it's just time right. to, to repot them and refresh them again and split them up. Okay. All right. Well, I can try that. <laughs> now, the other thing is, are the uh, leaves and all the plants actually quite healthy? Yes. Beautiful. Ah, okay. So, look, the other thing you can do is there are specific fl- orchid flowering fertilisers that you can uh, get. that's what I want to know, yes. Yeah, and you yes. start using them, oh, look, what are we in now, June? You'd start using them in, you know, February, March and build yes. that up in the soil. So that might be something for you to do for next year. It might not necessarily yes. work this year. Yes, because this will be the third year that I've had no, no sprays at all. And what colour orchid was it? Uh, it's just a very, very common variety, the yellowy colour, yellow-browny colour, yeah. yes. Yeah, so they, they, they should have flowered by now uh, yeah, because no, orchids, no. orchids do, do flower at different times depending on the, uh, the flower colour. I would uh, maybe not repot it, just go get some of that specific flowering fertiliser. Sounds like the rest of the plant is um, absolutely healthy and uh, see how you go with that for next year. I know it's a bit long to wait, but um, we'll happily uh, 
<laughs> wait for you and, and you can report back to us. Okay, then. Thank you very much, Scott. Okay, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> okay. See you. Bye-bye. It's Gardening Talk back on 2 FM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And Jim from Charlestown has given us a bit of a tips on the snail plague. Ah. Says you can use some pipe with a brick on it to catch the snails. That's not a bad idea, is it? Uh, some old PVC pipe you can, you know, seal it up on one end. Or I wonder if he's talking about on the, you know, upside down. But that's a good way. Uh, you know, not much is going to get through that. A brick and a, and a pipe. If that Labrador's eating that... It's a hell of a Labrador. <laughs> it's, hell of, it's got big teeth. <laughs> and we've got Dorothy now from Musselbrook, and she's got a question about pot-bound pots. Hello, Dorothy. How can we help? Oh, hi, Scott. Uh, I, I, I bought uh, two or three pots recently, uh, two crepe myrtles, a, mi- a miniature and a, a normal, uh, and also um, uh, the orange jessamine. When I got the pots home... They are so pot-bound. I couldn't believe it. Um, I've repotted them. Um, I've hacked them around terribly because they were so bad. There was no dirt. It was all roots. Yes. So I've eliminated a lot of what was there, and uh, they seem to be carrying on all right. But is it okay to hack them around or try and get them back to what they should be? Yeah, well, look, fortunately, the two plants that you've uh, you've bought and uh, unfortunately a little bit pot-bound are two plants that will survive, you know, what you've done to it. Now, crepe myrtle, of course, is a deciduous plant, so at this time of the year yes. it's starting to become dormant anyway and often these plants, uh, for sale purposes, are, are transported around the country uh, bare-rooted and they really oh. hack at the, at the roots of them. So crepe myrtles, tick, you've done the right thing there. Now, you can really give them a heavy root prune and uh, get them going again. Um, keeping in mind, though, they're not really a plant for a pot. They do grow into quite a tall tree, so you need to get them in the ground at some point in time. Yeah, no, that's what I did. I, I potted them to get them started mm-hmm. because I thought, I've got to take so much off this. Um, I'll, I'll try and resettle them, and then I'll put them into the ground probably around August. Uh, I thought it would probably more, be more appropriate than trying to stick them into... <laughs> into my hard, very yeah. dry ground up here at the moment. Yeah, no, it is a good idea to give them a head start. Look, as for your Maria, uh, same thing, very, very, very tough plant. Uh, will certainly, uh, you know, handle being hacked around both above the ground and below the ground, uh, yeah. like an iceberg, the old Maria. Uh, yeah. So, look, with those two plants, uh, not, not tender plants, not fragile plants, you've uh, yeah. done the right thing by uh, cleaning them up and, and just stopping the... Because if, if a plant's a little bit root-bound, uh, you know, you don't get that nice spread of roots back out into the soil or it takes a long time and the plant can be compromised uh, initially. So you have done the right thing um, and you just were lucky enough to get two plants you could do it with. Yeah, well, I, I have planted them when they have been root-bound and I've found a couple of years later they've just died and when I've dug them up, the roots just haven't spread. That's why I was a bit brutal, I guess. Uh, with the Maria... They're very slow starting, aren't they, once you get them into the ground? They seem to take a long time to before they start to put yeah. on a lot of size. Don't, don't, they don't like winter too much, but once you get into, uh, you know, the warmer months, uh, yeah. August through, they should take off fairly quickly for you. Yeah. Uh, like a bit of water to get started, so make sure you are giving them plenty yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, how, what about feeding, Scott? Uh, should I be giving them any fertiliser or seaweed? 
stuff or yeah, what so do you think? seaweed fertilizer is fantastic for the root system of plants. Certainly yep. uh, do that, uh, but otherwise just use a more sort of general purpose fertilizer for the both the root growth and the uh, the, the leaf growth. But uh, yeah, look, seaweed not bad, but uh, only good for the root system. Okay, then good. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much, Dorothy. Have a nice afternoon. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. And we've got Trish from Bacold, and she's got a problem with orchids too. Oh, we seem to have lost her. She's oh. gone. I, the way it's tied there, I thought it was a Philippusis orchid. Uh, uh, Mark Philippusis yeah, orchid. Yeah, it's a tennis playing <laughs> <laughs> the poo. It's a strong serving orchid. Uh, yes, but uh, I think she was talking about a Phalaenopsis orchid, and they're, uh, some people call them uh, Singapore, Singapore orchids quite commonly. Uh, look, they're a plant that lives inside, very easy to look after. Okay, yeah. excellent. And they also have a good surf. Yes, they do. Hopefully she rings back and uh, it's not game, set, match yeah, yet. Okay. <laughs> now, we had some issues. Trish has been getting cut off, but she just wants to know how she can get her orchid gr- growing, I guess. And flowering. Oh, look, she does need to go and get some specific orchid fertiliser. Uh, I think it's that phalaenopsis that she's talking about. Uh, look, they are really easy. You have to find the right spot in your house as well. Uh, they do like a nice, warm, sunny spot, but not full sun, you know, beaming in on them, obviously, and in summer, some dappled light. Uh, and get some fertiliser, some specific fertiliser for orchid flowering and uh, start fertilising it again uh, in February as well because they sort of start to flower now. Okay, yeah. Right. Excellent. Yeah, I had one that I in my place for five or six years, and I'm, you know, I know nothing about plants. Yep. And uh, the, the thing, yeah, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, the the thing just kept on going for me. It was, uh, and I didn't uh, hardly watered it. I uh, certainly gave it no fertilizer, but I think it was just in the right spot. That was the that was the, the kicker for it. So find the perfect place. Yes, if you can, and otherwise fertilize. Okay, we've got Chris from Curry now, and he's got a plant that his dog's been helping him water. What could be happening here? Chris, <laughs> please explain. Oh, I've got a um, dragon's breath. Yep. And, um, yeah, one, he came with a, a mate, and his mates died, as in the plant, not the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the other one's looking rather sick, and I just noticed the other day that the dog was helping me water it. Ooh, that's, that's not so great. Uh, because what's happening is urea and is just building up in the soil there. Right. Can so, you just try and flush it out a little? As in just water it through? Or? Yeah, wa- watering it through just to try and flush that urea away. I'd also grab a bag of lime and give it a light sprinkling around the area to try and nullify the effect. Uh, okay. Yeah. Fertiliser would help as well? Or? Uh, no, look, I think the plant's probably coping with enough at the moment. Uh, it, it really just watered to try and um, dilute um, your, yep. your dog's help. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of lime just to try and, um, I guess, neutralise it as well. Fair enough. Okay. And Great, try, and, try and keep pooch away. Yeah, well, I've relocated the plant to the front so the dog can't help water it now. I thought you were about to say you'd relocated the dog, but that's not... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that might come eventually too, never know. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, thanks for that, Chris. Right, thank you. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Chris. We've got Sam now from Barnsley. He needs some info on the black apple tree. The, the black apple tree, that does sound like a like a 1930s, 40... That's like a children's detective novel from <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> It does sound odd. I, I've just bought one. It's Australian native, apparently. I just want to know if you've got any information on them at all. 
Uh, the black apple, it's, uh, it is like a little tucker, uh, bush tucker tree. It grows in yeah. the rainforest. So if you're going to grow, you're going to have to have some like dappled sunlight, I guess, for it. Have you ever tasted it before? No. I, I, Have I, I haven't either, but uh, I've seen the fruit before, and it looks almost like a little peachy fruit in there, like a like you've cut open a peach or an apricot. Yeah, it says that you can cook with it and do all sorts of things, but I was a little bit concerned on how big it's going to grow. Oh, okay. Look, they they can get um, fairly tall, so it's probably a plant you're just going to want to keep on uh, pruning down. Um, after it's finished fruiting and flowering. Being a native, you just have to be careful about what fertiliser you're using. Either use a specific native um, fertiliser or uh, blood and bone. Always very safe on natives. Lovely. Excellent. Thanks so much. Okay, but it can get quite tall. Um, Dappled sunlight uh, will actually tolerate some sandy soil as well, so not heavy soils. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thanks for that. Bye. Bye, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Well, Scott Sharp, we're nearly out of time for our first week back. But before I let you go, I did have that question. Okay. You've remembered. Yep, I have remembered. Planted zucchinis from seed, I might add. Okay. From a zucchini you just had lying around or? No, I just brought some seeds. Okay, good, good. So I'm pretty proud of myself in that regard. (laughs) Open the packet. But they've gone great guns. Flowering, starting to get a few zucchinis. But yesterday I've noticed these little black flies hanging Uh, around it. So it sounds like you've got thrips coming in there. Oh, righto. Yeah, and they probably feeding off the zucchini leaves. They're just little sap-sucking insects. Might yep. not be necessarily eating the zucchini itself, uh, but uh, any sort of compromise of the leaves, it's going to travel back down through the plant and it's just not going to get the nutrients it needs uh, actually in the fruit. Oh, okay. So you need to try and keep the thrips under control. How do I do that? Well, I would get some pyrethrum spray. It's a nice natural spray to use. Uh won't uh, harm the the, uh, the fruit, so you yep. can you can eat it uh, quite normally, uh, and just have a general spray around every couple of days just to keep them under control. Okay. Yeah. Don't use the fly spray. Righto. Not I the more, not the mortine. So I won't just go around with the mortine. No. Okay. No. No. Don't do that. You need some pyrethrum spray. Pyrethrum. Righto. Yeah. I'll jot that down afterwards. Okay. Or you could grow some daisies and create the pyrethrum spray from the daisy. I could do that. That's, yeah. That's, I've just grown zucchinis, all right? Just okay. give me... Okay, <laughs> we, that's the next step. We'll let you get this one. Well, we do seem to have one more call before we call it a day. Ian from Clarencetown has a tip on snails. Oh, good. I like it when uh, little stories like this get a run. Yeah, we just get little tips coming through. Yeah. Ian, how can you help us with your snail tip? Yeah, g'day, Scott. Uh, our local um, hardware, the last few years, we've been getting um, animal-friendly uh, snail pellets yes. from there. Yep. Yeah, and like it's it, it, it's it's friendly to all all animals, birds. Yeah, they they don't get um, poison from it. Yeah, I have seen those ones around. I think there's a, a fair bit of iron iron in them. Uh, it sounded um, like the Chris before from Curry was a bit reluctant to do that anyway because of the amount her Godzilla the Labrador eats. So uh, oh. yeah, but look, yeah, good good. Uh, good idea. I always like just to try and physically keep the animals away from it if possible. The other thing yeah. to think about is if you've got blue tongue lizards as well, you don't want them to be getting in uh, and eating stuff. So, And they like the snails. So that's why I like a little separate place for the snails to head off to and have something to eat. Yeah, yeah I understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's what I've always used. And one of our dogs have ever been sick from it. Like, okay. Well, I'm not sure they've ever ate that or not, but... <laughs> Yeah, but they've, they've been fine. Yeah, well, hopefully Chris is uh, still listening and uh, she's got that little <laughs> bit of information and she can uh, judge uh, with a Labrador whether uh, yeah, how much uh, it's going to ingest. Uh, oh, oh, that or the old, old sawdust trick. 
Yeah, well, that's another way to do it, just mulching, isn't it? With uh, sugarcane mulch or sawdust, they just don't like climbing over it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I they must, must stick, yeah. Sticks to them and then they put themselves back in their shell and that's it for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, yeah. thank you for that, Ian. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Bye. Always good to get a tip coming through. Yeah, I like the old tip. Uh, I always worry about the blue tongues, lizards as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, if you're using snail bite, I always say to keep it in some sort of little house um, so that the blue tongues can't have a chomp on that either. Right, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll note that down as well. Yeah, they're good to have around, the blue tongues. Scott Sharp, almost up. Anything you'd like to say before you trottle off? Well, I was just going to quickly mention uh, the orange trumpet creeper that people are seeing around at the moment. Really beautiful plant. Flowers at this time of year, so it gives you some nice winter colour. Um, It's very quick growing as well. It's native to South America. Uh, uh, And the other great thing about it is it doesn't necessarily need support. It'll just find its way up a fence. Uh, That's good. Yeah, you can put a trellis there. Uh, it doesn't get all hard and woody uh, like some other creepers, like bougainvillea or wisteria. Uh, and it's very prunable, and it gives you that winter colour. Scotch it up. Thank you very much, and I'll speak to you again next Monday. Next Monday. See you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.